Welcome to the Biotech and Breweries podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schroeder, and today I'm here with Todd Harris and Daniel Benson, the co-founders of Tyra Biosciences. So Todd, Dan, really great to have you guys come on the Biotech and Breweries podcast. Thanks a bunch for making time. Great to be here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, you know, we're we're doing something new. This is the kickoff of what I'm calling season two of the podcast. So today we've got an additional, you know, special guest from we've got Chris from Pure Project on. So Pure Project is a brewery here in San Diego. They do a, an amazing job and they've got kind of a unique business model. And uh, and Chris, you know, he's I think heads up the beer education team there. So you're an expert in in beer and in the, the beer that Pure Project makes. So I'd love to hear before we get talking, you know, get into talking about Tyra and, and the biotech world, we'd love to have you talk about the brewery and then maybe introduce us to a couple of the beers that we're going to try today. Absolutely. Daniel, thank you so much for having me. It's kind of cool. I mean, we're on the exact same street being on uh, being on State Street. So this is definitely a North County coming together to start off season two. My name is Chris Leguzaman. I am an advanced Cicerone, one of 143 in the world. I'm also the education program manager here at Pure Project. For us, there's so much thought process that goes into a beer that it just wouldn't do it justice without having the information. So I'm basically the liaison be- between the back of the house and the front of the house. For this one, I decided to bring out two of the best-selling beers that we have right there in our Carlsbad Village tasting room. We're going to start off with Tropical Mist. Now, Tropical Mist is this beautiful 5.1% misty citrus blonde. What does that mean, though? If you ever go into one of our tasting rooms, which is conveniently just down the road from Tyra, you're going to see in the pint glass, it has a, a Costa Rican slaw and a California bear. Where does the Costa Rican slaw come from? We started this whole idea of opening up a brewing down in Costa Rica. And when we came out to San Diego because of the environmental impact, we talked to our head brewer, which is Winslow Sawyer. And we said, can you recreate that refreshing feeling of being at the base of a mountain, seeing the rolling mist going down, hitting you in the face, and you're just like, whoa, this is awesome. And that's where uh, the tropical mist came from. This one uses local organic Balencia oranges. So it has this invigorating citrus component on the nose, on the palate, not as intense citrus, a little bit more almost like a lemon meringue, a little bit of a candied orange, if you will. Super soft, one of our best selling beers. This is one of the best beers to have at that tasting room underneath the palm trees, just two blocks away from the beach. And and you mentioned being on the same street. It's in We're in Carlsbad. So um, just for, for the listeners, some of them are all, all over San Diego and maybe uh, outside of San Diego as well. So if you make your way up to Carlsbad, you can you can drive by Tyra, stop at Pure Project, and uh, and take Chris up on on the suggestion. Absolutely, and there's a pretty decent uh, ice cream spot conveniently in between both of us, uh, which we go there more often than we should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a, and a Michelin star restaurant and a few other great places as well. So State Street is a great place to visit for sure. And you just moved into that location, right, Todd? Yeah, we came in in the summer and uh, couldn't be more pleased with the outcome, having decided to set up shop here. It's an incredible community, big fans. The entire community embraces us, you, and it's just one of those great little beach towns that I highly recommend just coming up, relaxing, walking around. It's really beautiful. I tend to walk my dog there all the time. Yeah, that's great. Um, so Chris, so as we're trying this first beer, I, I know a little bit about the backstory and you mentioned Costa Rica, but but it seems like there's a big focus on organic, being sustainable, really kind of doing things the right way, which 
a lot of companies maybe pick out one or two of those kind of focuses, but it seems like you guys have kind of the whole laundry list of, of things that you're striving for as a company. I'd be curious Absolutely. to know kind of the backstory to that. Yeah, it, it starts from the inception, uh, the initial part of a company. So when we were down in Costa Rica, we didn't have access to all the crazy hops, the yeast that you can you get readily find here in the United States. And we were just talking to the farmers, what's in season right now, what's tasting fantastic, and what can we incorporate into our beers? So that relationship between farmer and producer became crucial to our existence. And then due to... Um, the climate in the country, our environmental impact. We just pulled the plug on that project and said, hey, let's bring it up to San Diego. And then from there, from the get-go, you can see at the on every single one of our cans, we've been a proud member of a 1% for the planet. goes towards a vetted uh, environmental impact, uh, environmental organizations, both nationally as well as here locally in san diego so the mindset has always been hey if we're going to be manufacturing something let's lower our environmental impact um just recently we are now carbon neutral as well as plastic neutral not just for the company but as well for every single team member we've estimated it out and we've put a little bit more just so we can offset and that's the mentality you should have just being very conscious of what's around you and leaving it better than what you came in with and uh, we're in San Diego, you know, there's great citrus around here. Use it in a glass. You don't need to get it from all around the world. Talk to the farmers locally. We know them by name and it's really a special business model. Yeah, sure sounds like it. That's great. All right, so we've got the, um, the one that we just tried, the Tropical Mist, which is the Misty mm-hmm. Citrus Blonde Ale. And then you've got a second beer for us as well. And, and um, you know, I was, I was joking before the podcast, I don't know that we'll be able to, to to drink these in their entirety during our conversation here, but we definitely want to try both of them. So maybe give us a little rundown on what the second one is. Absolutely. So for the second one, we're brewing this fresh every three weeks for three months straight. Our business model, we release two new beers every two weeks, but for this one, we're so enamored with it that we said, hey, we got to keep that thing going for at least three months. So this is our quarterly core IPA. This is Force of Nature. Force of Nature, is a murky IPA. For a lot of people, they're like, okay, you got me lost. What's a murky IPA? Is this a new style? Here in San Diego, West Coast has always been king. We have a pizza part right there in Carlsbad Village, super clear, dry, nice little bitterness. But then roughly five and a half years ago, New England started producing these really aromatic, soft, juicy IPAs. And when they came to San Diego, everyone was like, that is the most vile thing I've ever seen. This doesn't look like an IPA. This for sure doesn't taste like an IPA and it's too aromatic. And we said, you know what? We're just gonna, we're gonna brand it. We're gonna call what it is for us. It looks murky instead of hazy. And it's just gonna be what we want it to be. And this uses San Diego water, California grains, oats, unmalted wheat. And this is a plethora of hops. We get hops from New Zealand using our hand-selected Nelson Sauvin, Hollertal Blanc from Germany, and then last but not least, uh, hand-selected hops from CNC Farms out in Washington State. We're using Citro. So using hops from all around the world to bring in this flavor profile for us, juicy peach, tangerine, and pineapple are going to be the big standouts. There's a little bit of like a honeydew dankness in it, a little bright citrus, but for us, it's... 6.5% aromatic, soft, juicy, makes you want to take another sip. This is, this is, what, this is a fun one, nonetheless. 
That was a great sales pitch for this beer. And I, I noticed you're smelling it like it's my you're getting some foam on your nose, it looks like. Um, that's great. What a great way to enjoy it. <laughs> honeydew, honeydew dankness. <laughs> you said that I had to put my nose in there and I immediately pulled out uh, notes of honeydew. <laughs> some of these beers, um, so my job, not to get into too much on what I do, but so every time we release two new beers every two weeks, sometimes in between those two can releases, we also have like draft releases and they'll give us these samples and they're like, all right, what does it smell like? What does it taste like? How would you describe it to a guest? And you're just going in, you're like, this one kind of smells like a lemon bar that I had a couple months ago. And you're just going down, you're just writing everything. And we'll do a three person talk and we're like, what did you pick up? And the other person picks up lemon bar. We're like, well, that's that's gonna be one of the descriptions on this. And it's just showcasing the farmers, creating the hops, creating the mall, bringing everything together. It's, if it wasn't for them, we're not here and we're not producing the beers that we absolutely love. So. That's a fun one to, to represent them, to be honest. That's great. That's great. Awesome. Well, Chris, this has been really great. I really appreciate you making time okay. to come on, tell us about the brewery, walk us through these beers. Um, I'm really excited to continue drinking them. You've got me fired up about these beers all of a sudden. So appreciate you coming on. We're going to jump into kind of an in-depth biotech conversation about Todd and Dan's company, but but thank you again. Absolutely. And anytime you want to visit, uh, we're going to have five taste rooms here in San Diego County. We've been around for six years. And if you do want to follow up, purebrewing.org or on social media, Pure Brewing, Pure Carlsbad, and then every other tasting that we have. But yeah, hang around, catch us, um, enjoy the talk. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris. Both are excellent, and we're excited to have you as our neighbor. Thank you. Appreciate you. I love being neighbors with you. Cheers. Cheers. So, all right, Todd and Dan, good. I, thanks for again for doing this. I'm really excited to dig into your background and talk about the company. So maybe, you know, we can start with the background. And when I say background, I'd love to kind of learn how each of you individually, the kind of the paths you took or kind of where, what you did before coming to this current company, just kind of out of curiosity to see what you guys, you know, did previously. Sure. Dan, I'll kick it off, try and be relatively brief. I'm a scientist by training did my PhD in cancer research uh, at MIT and worked with some great people and great mentors there. My advisor, Sangeeta Bhatia, um, Bob Langer, Phil Sharp were on my thesis committee and just stellar scientists. And that really stoked my passion, but wasn't that great with my hands and pipettes. And so moved out of the lab and uh, went to work for McKinsey, which is a business strategy consulting firm working with biotech healthcare companies. Uh, great opportunity for me to reset my career and think more broadly about the space and uh, have a ton of great experiences working with biotech pharma companies. And then um, after several years at that firm, I kind of jumped off the cliff and moved into entrepreneurship. And a first company that, uh, that I started was repurposing a cancer tech from my PhD into derm and aesthetics. That was a company called Sienna. And it was a you know project turned into, you know, company turned into a job for me and ran it for several years and then turned in, into something even bigger as I had an opportunity to partner up with some folks for additional financing. We actually took that company public. I stayed on the board, um, but ultimately uh, moved outside of the operating role there and, and then started to rethink what I wanted to do, which is really get back into oncology. And uh, that's when, when Dan and I started some serious conversations about you know, what we might be able to do together and got really excited about what we thought we could pull together at Tyra. So maybe with that, let me hand it over to Dan on his intro. Perfect. 
Yeah, so a little different path through biotech than, than Todd's. Todd kind of, you know, came screaming out of MIT and then the in the management consulting. And I, I was more of a lunch pocket type of scientist that, you know, after my undergrad, back in those days, you would get out the Sunday paper and uh, look for jobs. And this was 96, 97. And uh, it so happened, I found a few, you know, relevant, you know, green as the sea type entry level positions and jumped into to biotech at a company called Diversa. And kind of cut my teeth there and, and quickly realized that I wanted to be a bioinformatics scientist and spent two or three years as a self-trained um, computer programmer writing code in that first kind of golden era of, of genomic um, data that was, you know, churning off of these Sanger sequencing instruments and, you know, spent three, three good years writing software to process these workflows. And then, you know, in, over my shoulder behind me was a genomics lab generating this data. And I got bored sitting in front of a terminal, um, crunching on this data and, and wandered over uh, into the lab and said, hey, can I start tinkering a bit? And, um, you know, I had some undergraduate research experience that, you know, allowed me to jumpstart into that. And so began, a, you know, 15, 16 year career at the bench, really starting as a molecular biologist and then really transitioning later to a protein chemist and um, working on protein expression systems and, and expressing and developing assays for the proteins I was working on. And then transitioned through, you know, many years to different small startups within San Diego and the San Diego and Carlsbad community, one being Quarex, um, an anti-infectives company, and then later ActiveSite, which was kind of the first structural biology CRO. And then Trius, and most recently Sidara before Tyra. And really in those last few stints, I got a really fantastic training and an on-the-job mentorship in structural biology and protein crystallography with some, um, you know, who's who in the zoos from people coming out of Scripps or former Agaron crystallographers. So that first generation of, of industrial protein crystallographers that really knew their stuff. And I, I got a, a great on-the-job training and, and really benefited from great mentors along the way. Somewhere along the way, you know, had a early midlife crisis and went back to graduate school and did an MBA at USC. Um, and then that ended up taking me into a different direction and created different conversations. And I got slurped into corporate development activities and more strategic roles. Finally, before, you know, as Todd mentioned, we kind of put our heads together at, at a certain point in time and said, you know, let's do something together. Cool. So did you guys have a friendship Kind of the, you know, that you, you guys, it sounds like you knew each other prior to founding or kind of forming the company then. Yeah. Dan has outlasted me as a, a long term Carlsbad resident. We moved in about 10 years ago, quickly became friends with our neighbor, Dan and his family. His kids were similar age as my kids. You know, they had a little bit more experience in the schools. And so, yeah, we, we got to be friends. Over time, we, we started to realize we were crossing paths in similar spheres of, of biotech people and networks and experiences. And, uh, you know, these conversations, you know, on, on the sidelines of a sports event, uh, you know, ultimately turned into, hey, it might be fun to do something when the time's right. And so that happened over a very long period of time. And eventually, you know, time became right for both of us. And we, we started to get serious about, about putting something together. You know, both of us had networks of people and, and supportive people that uh, we were excited to kind of draw into the mix. I mean, a, a company isn't just one or two people 
you know, event to start it. It really is, you know, a network of, of folks that want to do something. And so, you know, an idea, you know, and a few conversations quickly turned into, you know, a group of supportive uh, seed investors and then a group of supportive people within our networks that really wanted to come together around this, this concept of Tyra. So it, it, yeah, um, that's, that's how it originated. On, on one hand, you, you guys kind of make it sound simple that, you know, you're, you joked about talking about it on the side of a sports field, but, you know, starting a company and trying to do what you guys are trying to do, it's a little different than if you were going to open a, like a car wash or a restaurant. I mean, there's, there's so many complexities, at least from an outsider's perspective. So I, I'm sure, and to your point, there's a lot of other people that ended up playing a part in the formation, but I'm sure it was a much more involved and drawn out and lengthy uh, development process, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think the the strategy you set for a company is, is everything. And I think um, the time was right where we saw, we, we saw just an opportunity in precision oncology that, uh, that is continuing to evolve that, that made sense for people like us to really dig in and work to make, you know, better, better drugs, better product candidates that could address challenges that were going to continue to be un- unveiled by diagnostics. Yeah, next generation sequencing. And, and so it, it was certainly a culmination of, of um, important trends in the marketplace and expertise we felt like we could draw on and a you know, strong reason why we thought it made sense to, to do the work. Yep. So, so you decide to form a, the company. How, how, what is, what is a, that's like, they will call that day one. You know, uh, what, what's the problem that you guys didn't have the, uh, the kind of the nice fancy new office in Carlsbad then was when, how small was it when you started and kind of, where did you kind of put the roots down initially? Yeah. Um, I think we grabbed an office. I I I had an office here on state street and, you know, used to just be one person. And then I, Dan came in and we were both in the office now. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the decision was kind of two things. One, uh, having to move on from our current engagements to kind of quitting your job. That's the jump off the cliff scenario that always is involved in a, in a new startup. And I, I think unless you do that, you know, you don't, you, you know, it's hard, it's hard to get the motivation to really make something succeed, um, you know, and make sure it works. So we both did it. We both put up some money, you know, worked with a really small group of, of friends, family, supportive, you know, to pull in a little bit more cash. Uh, seed cash that then got us, you know, full, you know, our minds fully operational, you know, consultants and really good people uh, involved to start thinking about where to direct the company. And so that first year really on seed money is, is so important because that's when you want to make all your mistakes. Uh, that's when you want to, you know, have people, you know, tell you that what you're doing is is not right and why it's going to fail and pressure test every piece and, you know, go back to the drawing board and really identify what what's a good business model that's going to work. And we certainly went through those pains in the early days, and it was a good time to do it on a small amount of capital. And and then through that, you know, running through that gauntlet, really, you know, emerged what we thought was a really viable strategy for the company. That then we started raising capital and and you know helping build the team around. Yep. And so when, when, when was the, when did it start? When, when did you guys raise the, the seed money from, from friends, family and, and the like, I guess, when, when did the official kickoff happen? Yeah. Someone just reminded me of this the other day. I think August 2nd, 2018 is our official start date. And it was right around that time that Dan and I were quitting our gigs, filing some, some papers to start the company. 
And it was within a, you know, putting our own capital and then within a few months, we got some additional seed capital. And then I think the other really important date about 18 months, a little shy of 18 months later in the um, January of 2021 is when we did our big series A invest, uh, investment. And that was a, a $50 million investment. So for us, it, that period of time between the series A and the seed, you know, is this kind of gauntlet as, of us figuring out how to pull this together, what the right strategy was and getting the right people to help us. Now, thinking back on that time period, was it was it stressful and one that you kind of wish didn't happen? Or was it one that you kind of look back on and laugh about now because you've, you've kind of survived it? <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I still have some scars. I don't know. There's some sleepless nights. Uh, yeah, really yeah, you know, in the run up to the Series A, you know, there was there was a, a time horizon on our cash, right? And, sure. And we were we were we were suited up and holding hat in hand and flying to Boston and San Francisco and Seattle and repeat repeating that over and over and over. And there's you know a moment I think Todd seared into both Todd and my mind. And it was a it was that is that first phone call from a Series A investor who really wanted to step up and um, catalyze this whole deal. And we knew if this happened, um, you know, we had a really good likely, likelihood of closing this. And this was running up against, you know, end of cash and and the holidays. And so it was either going to be a pretty miserable Christmas or maybe yeah. one that uh, one we can uh, really celebrate. And as luck would have it, you know, that phone call came through and and it was, you know, one of our key investors in our Series A syndicate who who just painfully took so much time to tell us the results of their committee meeting and let us off the hook. But I, it was all of about five seconds, but it seemed like sixty seconds. And yeah, when, he, when the answer was a yes, uh, we had, we let our breath out that we had been holding for the last, you know, six, seven, eight months when it when it finally locked in. You know, having, you know, I know you guys both have kids, having kids and a spouse and just the, there's already pressure going leading up to the holidays in general. So, you know, even though there was a successful outcome, you were probably still just trying to decompress through the holidays. I'm sure that was, that was a lot to, to handle, I would imagine. Yeah, indeed. So yeah. that was a, that was a series A. You guys have kind of had uh, a chain of like back to back fundraising successes and, you know, Outside looking in, you kind of it looks like it was easy because there's a lot of companies that struggle to get you know seed money or raise a Series A at all, and then after a Series A, it can still be another uphill battle to get to the next round. And you guys kind of had a, a series it looks like from the outside at least of, of successes. Is that is that fair? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. We couldn't be more pleased with the you know continued investment engagement that we've gotten with the Series B and an IPO, and we've got really great investors and you know, not just raising the money. It's, it's about getting investors that see your vision, that share your vision, that root for your success, that are aligned with you. And, you know, things don't, you know, there's ups and downs in this business as there are with any business. So alignment is so important. And yeah, we, we've have had a real, a real great time engaging excellent investors that have good alignment with us and hope to continue to do that into the future. Yeah. And, and so when did you guys go public? That was six months ago. Is that about right? Yeah, just about a little shy of that. It was in September of last year. Okay. And what, what was that process like? You know... Uh, more, more sleepless nights? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> exactly. 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it is. They're, none of these things are, are easy and um, they're not done till they're done. Uh, so you're kind of stressed to the last moment on any of these, but, um, but nonetheless, really rewarding as you find investors that believe kind of in your vision along the way. And, and so that's, it's actually really enjoyable from that perspective, you know, having the opportunity to engage and tell the story and, and sync up with great people. And, and uh, I really enjoy it. I, you know, Dan thrives in it as well on investor calls and I think he enjoys it as well. Yeah. Is it, um, you know, it's been, there's a lot of all, I mean, this, this year so far, year to date, it's been a tricky one uh, with the public markets. Is there drawbacks or, I mean, advantages, pros and cons, I'm sure, to be in public? What, what does that yeah. feel like? Yeah, there is. And, and you know, the, the, you know, the challenges are really um, you know, a lot of scrutiny, but those challenges also help you, you know, operate and run your business, you know, in, in tip top shape and, you know, keep you, keep you on your toes and make sure you're doing a good job. I mean, there's only so much you can do to control market dynamics. I mean, if biotech's down 30%, you know, or 20%, and I don't know where it is today, but it's been a challenge for the whole industry. Um, there, there's not a lot that an individual company is going to necessarily do to reverse those trends. And you kind of just have to, to bear through it. Well, what I will say is, um, you know, you get a lot of advice along the way in terms of when you should make raise money and shouldn't raise money. And, you know, and, and some people told us, Oh yeah, just, you know, you guys should wait till now for, for an IPO. And, you know, the reality is we're really grateful. We did, did it when we did, when we had access to capital and investors were excited and, and it, it's a, you know, pretty challenging market to raise money right now. And so we're glad we're not out there with our hat in hand at the moment. And and we've got plenty of cash to kind of weather the ups and downs that we're seeing right now. And what, what would you say? So, you know, going back to the start of COVID, and I work in the, the banking kind of financial services world, the start of COVID, you know, everybody initially was terrified about what, what was going to happen. The economy seemed like it was going to melt. The housing market seemed like it was going to come melt down. And that happened kind of initially, but then it turned around quick. And then we saw record growth really. And life science companies saw record investment across, you know, across certain sectors, at least. You just kind of made it sound like that may be changing. I'd be curious to know kind of if it's been a gradual shift, you guys, I think maybe it sounds like you may have timed it well and kind of, uh, or, you know, lucky, lucky you're not hot in hand today, as you said, I would be curious to get your take on what, what has changed and, and why. Yeah, I mean, it's always cyclical. COVID was a really great reminder, a healthy reminder of how important our health is and how important investing in health is. And, and we all took it, I think we all, that was really good tailwinds for all of us. I, I don't think that sentiment is going away, you know, by any means. I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of different macro factors today that uh, don't indicate that people aren't excited about investing in, in healthcare. But w- what I would point out, you know, there were a lot of unique things that that you know innovation that came out of the out of COVID in healthcare. I mean, amazing work by companies with vaccines and therapeutics to move them as quickly as they did. And you know, couldn't be more proud, honestly, of our industry for the performance on that level and what we were able to contribute to the world in the last couple of years. Even though we're not a COVID company, you know, proud to be a biotech company that's been able to deliver that innovation. But it's also delivered, even for us, very impactful models, innovative models for how we work. And um, we built Tyra as a remote company because we had to. You know, within six weeks of our Series A, we were all stay-at-home orders and figuring out how to 
how to run a company uh, when no one was supposed to go into work. And um, we learned a ton and it's really benefited our business model and the way we are, both our culture and the way that we're building our company. And it's relaxed our constraints to feel like everyone has to be on site. You know, we're hiring all over. Uh, we focused on talent and people that you know know how to get their job done in any environment and are happy to, in some cases, work out of Virginia or Pennsylvania or Northern California. So yep. we can access the talent we couldn't have accessed if we were trying to build a you know in-person only company. And seeing how successful it's been for us is kind of opened up that model of innovation for how we operate going forward. No, that, that's great. And that's, um, there's some silver linings, I guess, to to the way the world has changed over that time period. And, and it's worked out well for you guys. So that's, there's been some positives. Yep. Um, so that brings us to where we are kind of now. So you're a public company. You've got this kind of shiny new office space. I know you've got some lab space in, as well. We'd, we'd love to have you you know, try to put into layman's terms what the what Tyra is trying to, to do for the world. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a loaded I question. <laughs> you know, I do want to hear Dan speak as well. I don't want to be the only one speaking here. Um, let me give a few of my thoughts, and then I want Dan to sure. get his thoughts. So, cool. You know, we're we're in a great spot as a company right now. You have really strong balance sheet, exceptional people working on some really um, important problems, uh, developing small molecule oral drugs and in, in targeted therapy for unmet needs that uh, that we think are pretty clear, and we really designed the best you know, drugs possible to address it. And we're excited about where those will go. And there's a lot of work ahead to, to prove those out, move them through successfully through clinical development, show the benefit, work with the FDA, you know, seek approvals and, and do all of these activities on our lead product candidates. But we're also building out, you know, really an engine and we have built out an engine to very effectively make new drugs. And we're excited about the other drugs we can make as well. And, and then I'd, I'd say finally, you know, I think the, yeah, as a company, so many companies in San Diego, you know, just get bought out by big pharma for their assets and, you know, they go on and, uh, and, and that's a great outcome. I mean, in many instances, partnering with big pharma can, can deliver drugs better than small, small companies, but we do take advantage of, of an area where we have the opportunity to quickly develop and even commercialize products and do this for the long haul and, and continue to innovate and build. And, you know, we want nothing more than, than for us to continue to grow as a company, uh, move into commercialization and, and, you know, continue to create value as we grow. And that's a great path that, that we're ready to forge. So that, that's my vision. I, I want to be doing that. I love what I do. I love coming into work and I hope I can do this for a long time. Yeah, what's your, what's your vision? What's my take on the world? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll back up maybe just a touch. That was the very uh, yeah high level brushstrokes of the vision of the company and and you know as an operating officer there's you know how do you operationalize all of these things uh, and you know as we said Series A in January full blown COVID lockdown in March forced to be adaptable and as we've all become very adept at, at adapting to this new world order and the twists and turns in the road you know that reads through to our facility. You know, if you, you came on site, you would see a facility that has lots of open air and breezeways. And the entire thing was designed and built during COVID with that in mind. And then if you go beyond that into the labs, the entire, you know, set of efforts that we and disciplines that we employ here um, are built to be adaptable and fungible to the 
various needs and demands of, of working in COVID. So, you know, there, there are small companies like, like ours in, in targeted oncology who are completely outsourced and are running, you know, their companies from their living rooms or maybe a small office, but we made the choice to build labs, capitalize on our talents and really work within this uh, new environment that, you know, where lots of things are outsourceable, if they're commoditized, you know, an ADME assay or an enzyme assay or the production of a protein, those are, you know, two minute statements of work and a PO and you're in the game. But there are things that we do um, that we choose to do in-house. And these are very important, more delicate and more nuanced bits of science that we feel like we need to control our destiny. And that's how we built out here at Tyra. And those things can be anything from protein crystallography to our cell-based assays and the cellular biochemistry. If I tried to do that with a partner, I would climb the walls. And then even our in vivo um, activities and our animal models, those are, those are areas where we've chosen to control our destiny and really bring these things in-house. And so it's been this amazing hybrid model. We have tons of people walking through the office today and in the labs, but we also leverage you know, vast amounts of talent, like Todd mentioned, on all coasts and even across all continents as Tyra employees and collaborators. So really the theme for us is, you know, grabbing hold of the, of the adaptability that you, you must have within this environment and really run, running with it and, and optimize our processes and our technologies around it. What are, what are the biggest contributors to Tyra continuing to grow? You mentioned some you know, collaborations and the different capabilities and, and having a network of kind of, of uh, resources that you can kind of leverage outside of the of the lab you guys have in, in front of you. What are the, some of the growth factors? I guess if that's the right question. Yeah, our you know our real goal here we have a set of assets and we really want to maximize the value of those assets and reinforce the productivity of it. And so, on the one hand, um, we've been able to identify discover some great drugs that that have a long path forward in terms of demonstrating them in terms of safety and efficacy and benefit and positioning them to give the best you know maximum maximum benefit for patients and and that requires you know people to run clinical trials to monitor clinical trials to strategize on the best clinical trials and so got a great chief medical officer and a great team that he's building to do that we'll continue to build you know, the other piece of the platform, you know, our asset, you know, Dan started to mention is really what we, what we found we couldn't get in the world through outsourcing and needed to build better, faster, more productively in, in-house. We, we call it our snap chemistry design platform. And, um, and it's really proved to be a very fruitful approach um, to what is a really hard problem in drug discovery. And there's just a lot of opportunities for us to continue to build that out it, identify new drugs and maximize the value there. So that's really success for us is, is looking at these assets. And then of course the people, you know, are the greatest asset because they're really what are behind um, what we've made here and, and just continue to push maximizing that value. That's, that's where we will grow. That's what we'll provide, you know, returns for our shareholders and investors and then provide ultimately benefit to patients, um, you know, with, with what we produce and, and bring to the clinic. Really, really interesting. Yeah. And so is there, do you guys have, I mean, it sounds like the collaboration element is a real key one to the company. So do you guys, how do you find those opportunities for that? Do you have a, a team, like a sales team that's almost like 
kind of reaching out to companies to see if they're open to to working together or how how does that come up? Is it past relationships that you're able to kind of leverage or how does that, how do those partnerships, I guess, originate? You know, the biotech community and industry is, is an extremely healthy industry. I mean, you, you couldn't have seen what we saw with Pfizer, Moderna, the vaccines and then treatments. Uh, and I mean, without, you know, expertise concentrated, not just on the companies that are making those, but on just, you know, a myriad of companies from discovery to manufacturing to clinical trials. And, and so the network is actually really set up well and people that play well in the network, you know, have this opportunity to partner with hospitals for testing, to partner with groups that oversee testing, to partner with manufacturing. And so ecosystems there, obviously both Dan and I come with, with our you know network of expertise and then our, really our whole team brings a pretty extensive network of expertise that we, we utilize to get the work done. Uh, that makes sense. That's great. All right. Well, I have one more question for you guys, but it's it's uh, it's more of a, a broader question. But before I ask it, have you both had a chance to... I haven't, Dan, I haven't seen you drinking too much. So have you, have, have you had a chance to try both of the beers? You don't need to drink all of them, but... I have. I'm, I've been... I've been doing my part. <laughs> Is there, do you guys have a favorite out of the two? I, I think they're both great. I think they're both in different situations. I would pick one over the other. You know, it's a, it's for me. I mean, you read the subtext on the can, you know, say it out loud, misty citrus blonde ale. And the other one is murky IPA. This is about as dichotomized as you can get. Right. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, they are, there are two different flavors completely and two yep. different directions and yep. they're going to, you know, if I was a, if I was a purist IPA person, you know, um, I would have more opinions, but I, I'm pretty open-minded and, and flexible with the types. And, you know, usually if I go over to pure, I'll get a flight. So I'm yeah. not, you know, running down one path. I can kind of let the mood strike me. This, this is basically like, depending, flip a coin on how you're feeling on a particular yeah. day. You know, are you feeling like a, a misty citrus blonde or are you feeling like a dark, murky IPA? It's very, uh, you know, two different worlds. But yep. taken together, I'd probably lean more towards the the, the tropical mist. Okay. It's something that I would find myself on a, you know, matching our weather, matching our climate, like you said, underneath the palm trees, which yep. you know, if you take five steps, I'm standing under the palm trees. It feels like, you know, a more traditional fit on the five days where it's, rainy and stormy in San Diego, I might find myself on this darker IPA. Yep. Todd, what about you? You know, they're both great, but I'm an empirist, uh, an empiricist, so there's less volume in this one, the tropical mist, than this one. So I'm going to vote with my performance here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I also, I also, I didn't do it on purpose, but I've had more of the IPA also, so it, I don't, um, but I think I, I, you know, I, I think Dan made a really good point. It kind of depends on what mood you're in at the, in the moment. So, all right, the last question I have. So, you guys are in Carlsbad. You've you've spoken highly of you know being in San Diego and being in Carlsbad, but what you know the, the life science ecosystem in San Diego has grown and is is thriving. What what's your take on kind of what to expect from from the industry here in San Diego as we kind of continue to move forward? Yeah, I I, I want to say. The, the data suggests San Diego is 
one of the most rapidly growing. I, I think the UK grew, but you know, that's a whole country relative to a county. So, I, you know, I'm not going to give too much weight to that. I think um, San Diego continues, you know, especially in the last few years, has grown um, in a healthy way. And, and it, look, uh, it's a wonderful place to live. Take biotech aside, beautiful weather, great people, live on the coast, lots of great little nooks and crannies as you move up the coast including Carlsbad, it's a wonderful place to live. So, you know, for, for all those reasons, we, and an understanding that we're a, we're a company that operates globally and that's, you know, quite distributed, you know, we can put our headquarters anyway, anywhere, but um, clearly we voted with our feet to, you know, raise families here. So putting our headquarters, you know, downtown on State Street just made a sense for us. And it's a great place to work and live and enjoy life. That's great. Dan, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, yes, of course, San Diego Biotech is going to continue to grow. Will it outpace San Francisco and Boston? Don't know. I do know that, you know, transplants from those regions who find themselves sitting at Farmer and Seahorse having a midday, you know, networking lunch or talking to an investor or waving at, you know, their old colleague across the way um, seem pretty happy to me, pretty collaborative. You know, even in the course of our startup, just reaching out into the ecosystem it's just a very collaborative, everyone's rooting for your success here rather than, you know, uh, a little bit more of a competitive, you know, even though we can compete with each other, we might be future competitors. People are just willing to help here and, and you can do it outdoors. And on, on a February day, you can be sitting outside with a smile on your face, having a good networking discussion. So of course it's going to continue to grow the, the private company investment has been off the charts for the last, you know, couple of years continues to do so. And as the public markets sag a little bit, there'll be more money piped pumped into these. And there's been great exits that have regenerated new companies in San Diego. So, you know, collectively we're getting smarter and better and more storied in, in exiting and delivering, and it's just going to continue to grow. And that's evidenced by the number of job postings in San Diego alone that are just really tough to fill in a competitive environment. So yay biotech in San Diego right now. Yeah. Do you guys ever give like e-bikes or surfboards as signing bonuses for new employees? Well, we have both in our office and we have, I'm looking at it out in my office. There's a a company e-bike that's available for anyone who needs to go check the surf. There we go. You have an ice cream cone and we have, we have surfboards mounted on the walls. There's, there's one near Todd's office that I keep thinking we need to, because it's kind of a wall hanger. It's a, you know, an almost like an art piece. Yeah. it's not waxed up, but I was thinking we could put a little like vinyl decal and it says, you know, for emergency use only. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we have, like you would expect in Carlsbad, you know, steps from the beach. We have, we have plenty of surfers and lifestylers here who take advantage of the weather and the flexible work environment to just have a really happy, balanced life while, yeah. doing, while doing great science. That's awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you guys making time. Hopefully you enjoyed the beer as well as the chat. So thanks again for coming on. And uh, hopefully we can we can catch up with you guys down the road a little bit and see how the company's doing. Great. Thank you, Dan. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Biotech and Breweries podcast. If you found this episode interesting, please share it with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app. For more information or to suggest a guest, please visit biotechandbreweries.com.